Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob. I am one of your hosts, Peter Madrigal. Hey guys, and I'm Rob Federick. How's everyone doing today? Well, I'm Rob Schulte and you know what guys? Today, your royal hosts are aging with the royal port here on Magical <laughs> yeah. at the Movies. Okay. Yeah, you know, when I was watching this movie, the only thing that kept think uh, creeping in my mind is like, now is the winter of uh, discontent. You know, <laughs> now is the winter of our discontent. <laughs> Even though I had nothing to do with this movie, like, I just kind of, I'm like, it takes place in winter and holy shit. I'll, I'll, uh, Peter. Okay, you, first yeah. off, everyone, <clears throat> we watched and are reviewing the movie Lion in Winter from 1968. It was the runner-up uh, uh, in the, the Oscars yeah. for uh, with uh, Oliver. Oliver won Best Picture that year, yes. which we'll probably review one of these days because I like old school. I, I love all sorts of movies right. from all eras, right. all right? And um, this yeah. actually happens to me to be uh, my brother, the Jude's uh, favorite film. And safe to say, this is the uh, oldest movie we've reviewed in the podcast so far. So, Can you believe it, guys? Like, this is the oldest film that we've reviewed? <laughs> what would you... Wait, what's the rating this is older than Superman 2? Oh, big time. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe the film language didn't quite catch up to Superman 2 on that one. But, uh, okay, so... What rating are we going to give the Lion in the Winter? Well, so the Lion in the Winter. So here's the thing. Uh, I, I can't even speak because there's – I think it's like if you have a room full of consorts, let them all kind of scheme and plot against you and betray you if you have not seen this movie. Let's just put it that way, right? Because this film <laughs> – is first of all like for 1968 it is it is exceptionally well done so like i i think this is a, a great movie i think it is a great uh actors movie of of just random for and to see the origins of some of the great actors that we know today that are a little bit you know on the older side um it's a great way to see kind of like them in their kind of golden era or some of them, how they kind of were starting out to become big names like Sir Anthony Hopkins. Right? This was his first film. Exactly. So uh, it's one of those things wow. where I would say definitely, definitely uh, a big watch if you're a cinephile. And if you also love the medieval era and or Game of Thrones, definitely a movie for you to watch. Very true. Very true. Um, but if our listeners are unfamiliar you know, it's it's surprising. I didn't think I had a copy of this VHS, guys, but I did. Um, so is it bit. time for back of the box right now? Oh, what's in the box? What's in the fucking box? Guys, here's the thing. This is dusty. I had to, you know, <laughs> take, a, take a cloth to this, the royal cloth. Um, but <laughs> here's how it... Here, here's... Here, here, I flipped it over and this is what it has to say. This Academy Award winning masterpiece stars Peter O'Toole and Catherine Hepburn as king and queen whose fiery relationship is dissected as they plot, love, cheat, connive, and try to politically devour each other. Queen Eleanor tries to align herself with France in order to ensure her eldest son's position as heir to the throne. King Henry favors his youngest son for the coveted title. The sons care little for 
either parent, and each will stop at nothing to obtain personal power. In a dynamic performance that earned her an Oscar for Best Actress, Hepburn confronts her husband who who must then choose between personal vindication or political victory. A powerful drama of fierce ambition and family honor. Wow. Yeah. I personally don't really agree much about the family honor aspect of it because there's really none in this family. They don't care (laughs) about honor at all. (laughs) No one cares about each other in this family. Like the whole time I was watching this, I was going like, God damn, did nobody ever just love each other in this fucking movie? No kidding. Like, like, damn. Well, it's probably hard to love um, when you can also be like auctioned off for marriage. (laughs) <laughs> I, I totally understand, but like the whole thing, you know, you know, it's funny. This is going to sound like an off tangent for me. There's a game that I play called Crusader Kings 3 yeah. where mm. you become a, a medieval ruler, basically. And uh-huh. it's very it's a very realistic simulation of the medieval era. And like you have to like arrange alliances and, you know, you have to uh, arrange marriages to ensure your interests and who you want to succeed you and all that. The whole time I'm watching this movie, I'm going like, I'm taking notes <laughs> for the game. <laughs> but but it honestly, like, I kind of got a taste for that life playing that game. And I was like, damn, it was it was just a brutal time. Like, it was a brutal era, man. So, I, I don't know, man. It's just crazy. Well, yeah, no, I mean, you know, it, it, even today, we today live better than kings back then. I mean, if you, if you watch the one scene where the right before the queen arrives... To Sheenon, uh, Henry breaks open the the water because it's all frozen over. Yeah, and he starts splashing oh, his face yeah. with the water, yeah. and it's all frozen over. I'm like, oh man, we do live way better than the kings of old. Yeah. Can I can I also mention something? This, this, there's something very important about this movie because I will admit I had seen parts of this movie. I had never seen it from the beginning. This movie starts with a very familiar line. <laughs> <laughs> I. Agree. Um, and I, I, I might say I was slightly disappointed to hear that line in a certain way because I thought it was original to one movie. Oh, boy. But the important thing about this line isn't so much that it was featured and more important prominently on The Rive and Destiny. Uh, the only thing that I think is that it is st- it is. What good screenwriting is about, it establishes the tone of the movie from the beginning without you knowing it. Yes. The line is, the infamous. Come for me. Right. So that means if you think about this, the whole setup of the film, he is challenging everybody yes. to come for him from the very beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that is brilliant and has to be addressed because it does set the tone for what the film is going to do. And I think that that's just brilliant filmmaking. Yeah, no, it's true. I totally agree with that. But uh, back to (laughs) – see, that for me, uh, for my brother, actually, when he did that line, he saw it as a big homage to one of his favorite – his favorite actor, Peter O'Toole. Yes, yes, yes. I just thought it was fully improvised and more so now I feel – but it's cool. It's cool to to nod the head to to the film greats. So, exactly, uh, I lived with it. Well, and I think I can, I totally get where you're coming from, Rob. And Peter, I totally just find it like so mesmerizing that this movie is such a part of you and your brother's like lives. You know, the the fact that he, like he could pull that 
like because this movie meant so much to him when he was in that starring role. And Peter, that kind of leads to like the next part of our episode is like where we were when we first saw this movie. Like this movie has been with you for a while, right? Yeah, yeah, it has. Um, I saw this movie when I was uh, younger. I think it was in the in the nineties, you know. And and at that point in time, I was like, I wanted to get involved in Hollywood, and I wanted to be out here in Los Angeles. And, right. You know, I'd, I'd watch like um, the making of, let's say, uh, the Man in the Iron Mask back yeah. in nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, know? that's when I really fell in love with it. But I was obsessed with film. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I saw this when I was when I was older. You know. After watching Star Wars and all those, you know, the Superman twos. <laughs> <laughs> wait, so I, wait, look, I'm sorry to interrupt, but like you said that you, w- what made you kind of want to be in filmmaking was the behind the scenes of the Man of the Iron Mask. Yes, you know who directed and wrote that, right? Who? Randall Wallace, the same writer of my favorite all time film that got me wanting to be a filmmaker. No, Braveheart. Kidding. No kidding. Wow. Interesting. Wow. Yes. Very Meant interesting. To be. <laughs> little, little, uh, yeah, man. Little the tidbit. fates are intertwined, I yeah. guess. So that's cool. I didn't realize that. That, that, that's, that's pretty awesome. You guys were, uh, like, destined to work together yes we no were. pun that's intended what it sounds like yeah um. yeah yeah pretty impressive pretty but um impressive. but yeah no that's what i like that's when i first i first saw it when i was uh in my younger years and i became fascinated with you know because i already loved you know not the kings of and knights of europe and so i was like okay this movie is this really brings about and i didn't really understand it at the time like i do now but it really brings about the conniving efforts of 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 let's say the ruling class at the time, you know, okay, well, you're going to get, you're going to get this land, but what do I get in return? Okay, fine. You better marry her, but what do you, you know, am I going to get something in return? Am I going right. to, you know, you know what I mean? And so you mm-hmm. really begin to wake up to that little fact of, of, of the noble, noble life back in the day. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. So I watched the movie for the first time in its entirety yesterday okay so uh it was my first experience but i'd seen a bunch of scenes also whenever i would go to your house too peter like your brother had it on quite a few times so <laughs> like i'd kind of tune in and watch a little bit and i had seen scenes of it before with my dad but uh i'd never really fully watched it through so i was today years old when i saw this today film. years old I <laughs> and like, like i said it was like to your point peter which is all about this you know like the the, the hierarchy and like the way that it, it was interesting that I had played this computer game before because the game is exactly that. You're just doing the negotiations and the managing and who goes to war and stuff like that. It's not an action-based game. It's very strategic and mm-hmm. very much about, you know, you as a ruler have to have successors and you actually have to set your successors up for success. Sorry to be, yeah. you know, be redundant. but uh, And it was very interesting as I was watching this movie, I felt like... Peter O'Toole's character. Like Henry I felt second. like Henry, you know what I mean? Yep. Because I could relate. It was kind of interesting to me. And I was like, oh, this is an interesting perspective. Now, one thing that for me as a filmmaker, I will say it blew me away in terms of just like the film language of the time, 1968. And it had very powerful moments, despite the fact that it barely had any music, uh, mm. you know, camera movement wow. and all that stuff is, is just dated. But it had these shots and these moments where I was like, wow. And the acting is 
impeccable for the time. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's it's something amazing. I, I found myself laughing a lot. Well, you, it's funny you say for the time. <clears throat> yeah, because some of the greats were back in the day, like Peter O'Toole. Like this isn't his first go around. No. In fact, guys, little known tidbit. Well, Lawrence of Arabia. Let's that's not true. forget that. But <laughs> yeah. this is his, this is like a almost a sequel. This one's really? almost a sequel. Yeah, huh. he played Henry the Second in a movie called Beckett. Right. Before Lion in Winter, oh, right. so okay. this this was this this was his second go round as Henry the Second. I think that it, it, you know, there's it's just more so like I'm talking about film language for the time. I think the mm. acting is great. In fact, I found myself laughing and like cheering a lot with Henry a lot of the times too. When you know <laughs> uh, his sarcasm and his 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 ability to kind of smell out a rat and stuff like that. Like all of it, I, I connected with it really well. Mm. So I really thoroughly enjoyed it. How about you, Rob? When when uh, when can we say you saw this film? <laughs> um, <laughs> not too much longer than you, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> I watched this movie around the Christmas holiday. So, you know, it's a, a Christmas-esque movie around that time. I found it to be the perfect time to be watching the movie uh, <laughs> yeah. just because... Uh, I was on break from my day job. I could kick my feet up and watch a movie that I had never even heard of. So I went into this. I did not watch a trailer. I did not read up on it. I just asked Peter, is this the 1968 version? And he was like, <laughs> yep. And I was like, okay, I'm putting it on. Um, I really have mixed feelings about it that I'm going to go into further because there is a lot about this movie that I really liked. I got lost in it. I believed every bit of it. Um, but it was hard for me to keep attention i guess like it is a little okay. slow and it's just because it's not the sort of movie i'm used to watching mm. and that's what and, I mean by dated by the way sure yeah okay yeah that makes so much sense and i feel good that i did watch it though but i feel like upon a second watch when I eventually do do that, yeah. when we enter into Magical at the Movies Redux Edition, <laughs> uh, uh, I think I'm going to pick up on things that I didn't catch this time because there were points in this movie where I was like, oh, I need to rewind it. I think that was a joke, you know, right. like and right. I was like, right. that is clever, clever dialogue. Um but I feel I feel really good about seeing it and having it in like the repertoire now, like something that I can go yeah. to and be and talk about uh, eventually at dinner parties um, with the olive oil. <laughs> there we go. Sophisticated um, dinner parties. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but I'm really really glad I saw it. But this was the first time I'd seen it, the first time I'd even heard about it. And guys, you know, I think it's very interesting that um, you two are both. Um, big fans of like medieval times, knights, things of that nature. Obviously, mm. it's represented in work you've done, <clears throat> and we've said it on the podcast before. Much like fantasy, knighthood in medieval times was not a part of my life growing wow. up. Okay. So, entering into like medieval times stories, 
there is a disconnect from me because I don't have that connection, you know? I see, I see. And that makes it a little bit harder for me to digest, but doesn't make it any less um, worthwhile as a film. Mm -hmm. And... <clears throat> Sorry, take no, it. Not, not to jump in on you there, uh, Rob, but I totally can understand where you're coming from with that because let's let's also make sure that we point out this was a stage play before it became a movie. Oh, yeah. Yes. So, you know, it's almost kind of shot sort of like a stage play. It's a lot of dialogue. It's a lot of, you know, it, and it is like the story tends to be more for the stage because it's all these characters plotting and moving and blah, blah, blah. And like, it's, it's, it's basically a character study of like eight characters all intertwining with each other through, you know, the main character, Henry. Right. But as I was watching this film, I kept my director's hat kept going on. I'm like, Oh, I would (laughs) have shot this this way. I would have put music here where that moment, you know, when he, uh, takes um, uh, Alice to marry uh, Richard and like, he's, it's a whole scheme, right? Mm -hmm. That, kind of didn't land for me right away because there wasn't the the tonal aspects of like where you would have a great score for example to back you up you know what i mean to kind of like show the difference in the tonality you don't have the close-ups of the reactions of the faces where you know you just realized oh my god this 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 was a plot to like turn it around you know what i mean like so those kind of things, I think it's where that film language is a little dated where, yeah, I would have shot this a little bit more differently. Like there would have been more intricacies that that nowadays we're used to that maybe would have helped that story shine a little more. I think you have to pay more attention to the dialogue in this version, again, because I think it's presented as kind of like a teleplay. You know, Well, I mean? yeah, but that's all it is. It's just a dialogue, dialogue. It's dialogue, heavy dialogue driven, right, you know, right. And you have to like really pay attention because they might be saying stuff that they don't mean, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I don't know about you guys, but did you guys just find yourselves when, I mean, this is the first time I watched it, but whenever you guys watched it the first time, did you find it like difficult to, who to trust? Like I was just like, who do I trust and how do I even know that they're being genuine at all at any point <laughs> yes, in this film? Exactly. <laughs> I didn't trust like, anyone. Yes. I was like I, I actually trusted one person. There's only one person that I trust Henry. the entire No, no. Oh really? Because you don't Alice. trust him. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Alice is the only one who doesn't know what the hell is going on. She's like the audience almost. And she's all like, uh, kings, queens, and princes, and I'm the only pawn. That makes me dangerous. That's no, it great, doesn't. Sweetheart. That's a great line, by the way. There was, <laughs> there's there a really lot of great is. lines in this film. Yeah, like Peter, uh, to that uh, effect, though, to that. We know to, that you know. I know that you know. You know that I know. Oh, we God, know that yeah, Henry knows. That, Henry that knows whole. we know it. We're a knowledgeable family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to that point though Peter that's almost why I didn't trust Alice because I was like I can she's trust too, Alice she's so I sure. shouldn't trust Alice <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's the thing right like it had me da- so I can understand where you can lose yourself Rob where like it is and that's why I mentioned Game of Thrones because yeah. I personally was not a fan of the first season of Game of Thrones a lot of people were but I found the same issues with that first season that you might find with this film where it was just way too much dialogue, too much scheming and plotting going on where I was kind of lost and I was like bored a little bit. Like I, mm. it, it took me a while to get used to. Ironically, with this film, I was kind of tuning in the whole time. So there was just little moments where I was like, wait, 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 hold on. Let me rewind that. Or for yeah. example, like, you know, when you find out that Richard and Philip were like a thing. <laughs> at first, I was like... Wait, 
what? Hold on. Are they gay? Oh, I guess they are. You know what I mean? Like I didn't like it didn't sink in right away that like they they had a history together. I thought they were like cousins or something. I thought at first, actually, I thought they were brothers when the first movie. The, the, well, the movie well, and the but word it, love is tossed around so much in this right, movie with right, backstabbing. That right. you, there are so many subtleties to right. it. And I loved the way that developed at their characters even more because, you know, I don't want to like... I don't know what I understand, but like it did pull the rug out from under me. You right. know, I was like, oh, this has more depth than I gave it credit for. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think, guys, we should come back to this after okay. the break. And we're back. It's magical at the movies. We're talking The Lion in Winter. Peter. Yes, you ha- you were you were you were privy to what we were talking about before because we're all recording this podcast. I don't know what I'm talking about, guys. What I want to know is like, <laughs> given what we're uh, Rob and I like having to rewind and be like, oh, oh, okay, this character finding yeah. these moments. Like, right. did anything happen like that with you on your most recent watch? Like, has anything really jumped out at you? Um, in this most recent time you've well, seen how, it? How many times have you watched it? You've, oh, you've watched man. it a whole bunch, I, I, I've right? seen it as many times as I've seen uh, Star Wars or Lord of the Rings. Got you it. know what I mean? Or Superman 2. <laughs> you know, for your Christmas present next year, we're just going to give you a big freaking <laughs> Superman 2 po- banner for your wall. Well, you know, his birthday is going to come before Christmas. So. <laughs> yeah, it's true. We can give him a big tapestry that he can put on a wall. Oh, Jesus. And scheme from behind against I'm getting us. you a Superman t-shirt that also just has a big two instead of the S. That's what's going to happen. There you go. Uh, One thing that stood out to me on this rewatch was um, the way they they set up the princes. So you have, you know, you have uh, daddy's boy, Johnny, at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Who's, by the way, King Arthur and Excalibur. Yes, he is. Nigel Terry. Yes. 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 So you have daddy's boy, you know, like clinging to his father. Then you have... Then you have Richard, who's kind of bloodthirsty, and you can right. tell, and ruthless, he's like yeah. ruthless. You know what I mean? So Power he's more hungry. of like one of those type of guys who just wants to beat down the door and get what he wants. Yeah. And then you have the Jeff. conniving one, Jeffrey, who's like, "I'm going to send in men to do my dirty work for me." Little finger. He's the little <laughs> yeah. finger. Of yes, this basically. Family, you know. Yeah. Uh, we know that you know, and Henry knows we know it. <laughs> We're yeah. knowledgeable. Family. Just just lead with knowledgeable family next time. Uh, yeah, oh no, yeah. he wants to like yeah. he wants to like really mess with his mom. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> it's just like you tell us out to Henry or us to Jeff or have you figured out a way to sell us all out? Yeah, <laughs> but that's, that was the thing too, where I was like, I felt a little sad for this family too as I was watching because I was just uh-huh. like, dude, like nobody really cares about anyone in this family. Nope. They only either pretend to or they're like, yes, like you could tell at one point, you know, Catherine Hepburn's performance is fantastic in this movie. Like when 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 Henry kisses Alice sweetly in the chapel when she's uh the dragon at the doorway yeah and she's just saying kiss her because like she's like she's really like those were like the cersei moments for me i keep referencing mm-hmm. back to game of thrones but i wonder if if uh george rr R. martin did take inspiration from this movie and i wouldn't i wouldn't be, be surprised. surprised exactly yeah i'm did. sure but you know we see those moments where she's just trying to like dig you know the thorn in the side 
And it kind of comes back to bite her in the ass because she does feel hurt. Like you could tell that she does care for Henry. Like she did mm-hmm. love him. And they do have a weird sort of relationship when they first meet. They're kind of like at each other's throats, but they kind of weirdly enjoy that about each other. Yes. And they have like this friendship where he's like, you led three civil wars against me. He's like, I almost had the last one. He's like, oh, how I've missed you type of thing. And it's like, <laughs> wait, what? Like, you guys are all a bunch of despicable people. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? like why am I yeah. going to root for any of you at this point? But also, I think it was me kind of stringing along the fact that I'm like, I really have hope that maybe hopefully this family will somehow kind of see the light and come together that like it's freaking Christmas for fuck's sake. I know. You know what I mean? like, oh, Eleanor, you gave me my tombstone. You spoiled oh, I know. Me. What a great line. <laughs> <laughs> and he puts it right underneath the Christmas tree. It's dark, man. What about you, Rob? Do you do you have any uh anything that stood out to you like on this watch or well I I got to say, Peter, and I have to tip my hat to you on this one. I was hooked on the opening credits. They were slow, menacing, but seeing like these gargoyle statues and just boom, words, you know, like cast member, director, whatever. And the music. You know, and the music just equated to like something, I mean- I'll talk about this more in my takeaway at the end, but the opening credits were giant chess pieces. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. yep. And we see the chess game later. It's like all of this centers around this idea of um of chess, but like I'm making this move that's actually going to plan for six moves ahead because mm-hmm. I know how what I'm anticipating what they're going to do. Right. And those opening credits didn't like visually and auditorially hooked me, but as I progressed down the movie and thinking about it later, I was like they are so much more than just a good opening credits that like looked good when I first started the movie. They mean something. And that's why a lot of people neglect, you know, filmmaking. Like, I remember we ran into a sort of issue where when we submitted the ride into certain film festivals, you know, film festivals have a time slot and they need to fill in like the seats and stuff like that. So they tend to reject credit heavy movies, right? Because they just Mm -hmm. want to get to to the point. That to me is a travesty because to me, it's like, I don't care if you're trying to fill seats or whatever. Title sequences are are vastly important and they yes. do set the tone for films and good title sequences stick with you forever. The most iconic maybe being Star Wars, yep. right? Sure. Like, and then we talk about, you know, like Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings or like even simple little things like Sleepy Hollow. Like the the credit sequences in there like as they're driving through the carriage, it establishes a tone, it establishes a mood, a theme this movie does it. And then again, it opens up with that infamous. Well, you hear the clashing of swords first yeah. and then you hear and you see Peter O'Toole say, come for me. And it's just it kind of sums up where we're going to head in this movie. And I think that more filmmakers should pay attention to great title sequences. The way I'm going to throw out a really crazy analogy here. The way that Steve Job wanted perfect cubes or rounded corners for his mm. computers. He paid attention to the smallest details that nobody thought he would that would pay attention to, but it made a difference. And I think yeah. that that's the same thing with title sequences. Gotcha. God, it was 
Couldn't say it any better than that. How about it? Uh, <laughs> Rob, what was like something that jumped out to you? Like, I, I know you talked a little bit about like technical aspects that you would have maybe uh, yeah. done differently if you were directing this film. But was there anything that really was like, this is a shining moment of this movie that I'm taking, you know, that that is sticking out to my brain? I think for me, just overall, it it was more, like I said, to me, this was an actor's movie. This wasn't so much a director's movie. This was an actor's movie. This was putting in a bunch of brilliant actors together and really distinct characters and having them like... be in the sandbox, right? Mm. And and explore this this chess game, as you say. You know what I mean? Like, and I think that that's to me what stood out is just the 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 duality and the depth of all of these performances because you do see that some people have interests here, interests there, mm-hmm. and how they all collide. It just kind of was like this beautiful orchestration of of chaos, basically, with you know, human interest, like, like, like even Catherine Hepburn's, uh, um, uh, scene when she's breaking down and she thought she lost and all her sons are in the room with her. And she just kind of says, we're the ones that start wars. It doesn't matter what the political, like she really boils it down. It's, it's human nature that has us in this situation. And I thought that was very powerful. I think that that's what got her the Oscar in my opinion is, is a lot of the scenes that she's in are great, but I think that that moment really broke it down because you feel the emotion where she's like, I've kind of messed up. My sons are all like, you know, assholes, basically. You know, I used to love, we used to have this love and this, but like it's all kind of disintegrated to all these dumb political and stupid interests. And it's boiled down to the fact that we're just not great people. And, and, <laughs> and then you think there's the moment of redemption and then in comes John saying that like Philip's scheming or whatever. And then she just like the sparks light yeah. back up and she's like, nah, fuck what I said. Let's go back to scheming. You know what I mean? <laughs> so like, like, like that, that to me probably is the moment that stood out the most for me in the film. Yeah. Yeah. Peter, I gotta know, man. What? Like, is what? there even one moment in this movie? Man, for okay. you? <laughs> well, a, a lot of it, you know, like uh, Richard, um, Anthony Hopkins as Richard is very like, you know, he's one of those uh, very stoic, but also he he just wants to kind of have his will and that's it. Um, you know, he says it. <laughs> there's not a, there's not a, uh, a, not a, if I was on fire, there's not a, person in the world that would urinate on me to put me out when john says that he's all like let's strike a flint to oh great line. <laughs> it's a great line but my favorite probably my favorite film is when they're all together in the chapel you know yeah. and they're having that argument and mm-hmm. philip tells uh philip tells henry um philip played actually by uh by james bond in the 80s he, he right. yeah he became james bond but um he tells uh he tells henry he never meant to have the wedding and come again yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. And, dalton looks so young in this yeah movie. timothy well yeah he was really young in that yeah. movie yeah. but his um, first movie uh, or something Boy, never call a king a liar to his face, you know. And then, and then it disintegrates all the way till I am next in line to nothing. So that was one of my favorite scenes in the entire film when they're just kind of going at each other, and it's 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 hitting that tipping point where it's like, 
someone needs to come out the victor here. Who is it? You know, and it, right. it doesn't. It ends up yeah. back where they started. Yeah, yeah. No one, no one wins. Even though Henry claims to win, Henry claims to win. I'm, go- I'm winning. And I'm going to win. Yeah. You know. Wait. So you're saying this movie starts wh- or ends where it starts? Yep. And no I resolve. think. I understand why you like Superman 2 so much. <laughs> Damn, man. We just keep going back to Superman 2. Oh, why, man. Wait, why is that? That would make more sense if it was Superman 1. Because he turns the clocks back. Oh, and, just, uh, you mean the Donner cut. Got it. Yes, yeah, sorry. The Donner cut of it. Yes. Um, the, the, the only cut we recognize on Madrigal at the movies. Yeah. Um, what about you, Rob? What what uh, what stood out for you in this film? Well, I did talk about, uh, you know, how much I loved those opening credits, but that isn't the moment. You know what I mean? That mm-hmm. isn't the thing that like really glued me to this movie. And I really loved the scene where they're playing chess because that's when it like clicked for me, like all of this yep. like subtle things that are coming together. You mean uh, when Philip's playing chess? Philip yeah. and Jeffrey. Yeah, so Philip and Jeffrey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but honestly, the attention to detail to every little thing in this film, from costumes to uh, castles to at the end when Catherine Hepburn's character Eleanor is going back to prison. She's on the the boat with all of the rowers and whatnot. But right. like the thought that came into my head there was how, I mean, quite frankly, how shittily the boat was moving because it <laughs> yeah. was really moving. You know, yeah. it's like, this yeah. is what a boat with people rowing for real looks like. Whereas we would never get that in a film currently. Yeah, it would always true. be moved right. You know, for better or worse, probably a little bit more with computers. And yeah, yeah. which is sad, it, by the way. Yeah, th- that looked because it was like we built this boat to the tech specs of what their boats would be in medieval times. And here's how it moves across the river. And that to me, having that come at the end like really cemented to me like all of the attention to detail that was put into this film. And although parts of it were slow for me, whatever, it's it's a movie that was made in the 60s. Movies in the 60s are different than movies in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. And I understand and respect that. But that really made me go like, God damn, they, they did their homework. And I really love that. They yeah. did. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Guys, we should probably take one more break and then uh, come back and kind of talk about our takeaways and yeah. anything else that we didn't cover. All right. Back, guys. Woo. I think it is time for the big takeaway. Like our overall thoughts of why this movie is on Madrigal at the movies. Rob, do you want to take the first round? Sure. Um, well, 
You mentioned it before, Rob, and uh, it is very true. I am a medieval times era fanatic. Mm. I love uh, that world. I love the period. I love the 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 aesthetic, everything about it. And to see, you know, a movie that's maybe not action driven, but you know, this this political interest and 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 a story ultimately about a family too, just kind of you know at odds with each other coming together was was really uh was really cool to to watch and and i appreciate you know the old greats uh because you know a lot of the people say that the golden era of hollywood was around this time you know mm-hmm. what i mean and i and i mm-hmm. and i do see that golden era like that romanticism of that filmmaking era coming to fruition there and you know I think that more people should look back to these older films because despite the film language, which I speak a lot about, is different nowadays. And I would have done things, you know, directed things a little bit differently tonally or whatever. That's what we're we as an audience are used to. But we have to establish that back then nobody had the roadmap for this kind of thing. So mm. they were discovering it as they, as they go. So those <clears throat> performances, those 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 details you talk about, Rob, like the credits and all that all that stuff was new back then. It was it was the discovery of so you have to go back to look at that as an artist or you know as a cinephile to really appreciate where we are now in film and what you think is also wrong with the film industry nowadays. You know what I mean? Like I think that you'd mentioned about the you know the boat and the you know being a practical you know set piece as opposed to something that they would have just done with computers nowadays which is sort of disheartening because it does take away from the immersion factor at least for when you're making the films you know what i mean uh it takes away from the immersion that the actors might feel and everything like that so um i think that's my big takeaway from it all Mm. um but uh but i don't know what do you guys think well um i'll take second round since i already kind of talked about this anyway yeah um but first, Rob, I just want to say you said it really well and it made me think, you know, it's uh, actors playing orcs or orcs with CGI faces. Right. You know, yeah. right. like we talked about a couple of weeks back. Right. Um, yeah. The movie's a game of chess. It is represented and shown not told. You know, it is they didn't have to lay it on thick. You were able to discover that as a audience member of the movie and it and i love when it's not just like served to you on a platter you know it's something that you get to feel smart when watching this movie you know you get to like pick up on stuff and although i've only seen it the one time i can tell because i had to rewind a few times that it is a movie that rewards multiple viewings and as you guys know from uh, our Coherence episode, I'm a big fan of movies that reward multiple viewings. So um, we'll have to get into Tenet at some point because yes, you mentioned that because uh, you mentioned before, uh, Rob, that you had a hard time sometimes following what was going on. That was the same thing I felt with Tenet. So we'll have to bring that up. It's another point. <laughs> yeah, maybe we will. <laughs> we will. Yeah, we might have to. But, but, but back, uh, speaking of Tenet and piggybacking off of what you guys said, um, <clears throat> I feel like one of my big takeaways from I have a few takeaways from this, but one of mm-hmm. them was that performances like this are from what you were like, they're lost. Like they, there's no performances like this anymore, you know? And so when someone likes to, 
when someone tries to do like a big performance like Eddie Redmayne in Jupiter Ascending, it comes yeah. off as just mm. kind of forced and hokey. just hokey, you yeah. know? <clears throat> when you, in other words, maybe he's not that good of an actor. You know, but for me, I'm just saying (laughs) it came off as hokey. But but when you have Anthony Hopkins or uh, Peter O'Toole yelling these lines, you know, it's it's, there's a little bit more emotion and and it it hits you, you know, from the screen. It really does. And um, and that's one thing that I really miss about movies today, you know, Um, because Tenet Tenet's performance was yeah, well, we'll we'll talk about tenant another time because I yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> quest, two questions. One question for you, Peter. Where does this rank in your top ten list? Uh, oh, oh man. Uh, well, before I get that, one of my last takeaways was you don't. W- one thing that I appreciated with this movie was yeah, as a king, you don't have to look like a king. You can look like a right. beggar, a right. bum off the street. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> right. that's With what he looks like. the peasantry. But I'm wondering, though, if that was kind of like, those were the fine clothes for the time. And then like all the lavish stuff was like only for royalty. You know, he wears the yeah. purple cape at one yeah, point. He, but the, at one point, but he doesn't really, it's like almost like he doesn't care. Yeah, and I mean, this like is wearing sweatpants at the house, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, that's his version of wearing sweatpants at the house. I guess yeah. we're all a little kingly. Yeah. Yes, we? we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but where does it rank for me? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, you got Gladiator. Is it in the top 10 list? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's definitely in the top okay. 10. But I have to like, you know, I'm probably number like three or four. Oh, wow. Okay. So, it's know? up there. It's yeah, the it's top way up there. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and lastly, guys, you know, I, I always like to bring up titles, right? Like, yeah. who is the lion in winter? Ooh. I think it's Henry. I think you could probably make an argument for any character yes but i almost want to say it's eleanor you know she's allowed out of her cage you know she yeah has she is almost in control of all of her kids at least for a portion of this film right and i don't know though because i think i do think it's probably referring to henry but I think a case can be made for multiple characters for sure. I mean, you make a good point about the, 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 you know, Eleanor being let out of her cage and stuff like that. But like, there's a real big, there's a big, uh, there's a big oxymoron that goes with this title where it's like a lion in winter. Lions do not live in places where there are winter Mm -hmm. and it's a fish out of water syndrome. So I think that that's really interesting. And then the second thing of all is like, Rob, to your point, I kind of think that they're all the lions in winter. You know what I mean? Like, like I don't, I don't specifically think it's one person. I think it's all of them yeah. because they're all hungry to be the top. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Granted, too, Richard wasn't Richard King Lionheart. Yeah. So I mean, there's other kind of nuances there. So I thought it was interesting. I wanted to bring that up and pick your brain about yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah. So something to digest. Maybe our 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 audience can uh, leave some comments about what they think. Yeah, I'd be very Definitely. curious as to what every after everyone views it and then listens here. Um, what? Yeah. Who the Who's the lion in winter? Yes. That's a good question. Yes. For sure. 
Hey, speaking of listeners, guys, I wanted to read a couple of Apple podcast reviews we got. That's really? great. Yeah, please do. Some folks have left some nice things. And, you know, we don't do this every episode, but it's on occasion that we do. And, uh, you know, maybe yours will get read, audience member. We're, we're, we're out there. We're reading them. I, I hate to read the comments, but when they're great, I will. Um, so I wanted to do one from B Tilly 1973. This person says this show, uh, first of all, five stars, which those are going to be the only ones we read. Uh, (laughs) this show is a fun conversation among friends. Instead of helping you hate a movie, they show you why they love it. I'm looking forward to finding out what other movies they review. And if one of them turns out to be. Uh, Night of the Comet, that would be radical. So, add it to the list, guys. We might have to do Night of the Comet. What is that about? I don't know. I'll have to look it up. We'll have to look that up. That's interesting. Yeah, and then one other I wanted to pull for this one. uh, For sure. Is from uh, uh, Mrs. HPAH. I don't know who that is. Um, Love your commentary. And so comical and informative. I also love the views you guys have, and I cannot wait for more. So That's awesome. Woo. It feels good. Thank you. We that. just want to give you all a shout out because uh, we hear you and we love making the show. And we will definitely, definitely be giving you guys more. So, oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's season two. It's 2021. Bring on the movies. So, uh, I don't know if we... I'm. I'm 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 pulling something, guys, that we haven't done before here at the end of the episode. Do we want to start announcing what's going to be next? And Rob, this kind of puts you on the spot, so you can say no for this episode and we think about it next episode. But right. Rob, you're up on the choice. And if you have so, something choisen, chosen, I'm we might dangling be. between. How about we do this? We'll okay. leave it a, a bit of a surprise, but I'll give you the two choices that I'm dangling and that I'm dabbling with. Mm, okay. Right? And that way it'll be like, oh, what do we look forward to? And they're two vastly, vastly different movies, right? We could continue this wonderful medieval spirit and <laughs> go into my favorite film of all time, which I do want to address at some point, which is Braveheart, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which I actually recently saw with my girlfriend who had never seen it for the first time. So that is was an experience. Or... We can go with a more recent film, and I think it might end up being the choice because it's an animated film, and we have barely covered any animated films. Uh, it would be the new movie, Soul, from Pixar, uh, which oh, I thought was uh, really, really great. So The opposite uh, end of the spectrum yes, from they're, old to yeah. new. Yeah, and they're very different movies. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I, uh, I will, uh, we will find out next week, I guess. What oh, yeah, I love keeping is. them on their toes. So... Oh, yeah. uh, Peter, you want to take us home? Sure, sure. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob. Um, I hope that you enjoyed listening as much as we have enjoyed making this because this is a true blessing for us to make it, and we're so happy that you all get to enjoy this. But um, for Rob and Rob, I'm Peter Madrigal, and you will be hearing from us next week. Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob is hosted by Peter Madrigal, Rob Federick, and Rob Schulte. The podcast is edited by me, Chris Tyler, and produced by Rob Schulte. 
If you're looking to support this podcast, check out the merch link in the show notes or just leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any suggestions for a movie you'd like us to cover, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Christos Tyler or to Rob at Rob K. Schulte. Thanks, and we'll see you again next week. Shit.